Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trademark Podcast. Um, I'm joined today by Trademark's Mel Corey and by Conor McCabe, who's a, a lot of people will know as a researcher and the author of two books now, um, First Sins of the Father, which sort of traced the, the decisions and the processes by which um, Ireland found itself at the heart of the financial crisis and explains how it, it became the basket case that it is today. Um, and the second book is on, on money, which sort of looks at the, hope not representing, misrepresenting this, Connor, looks at the class power dynamics behind it and the importance of, of who controls uh, uh, money. Uh, Connor is also a good friend of ours and he's, he's worked closely with us over the years, particularly at the height of the last austerity period when we were doing a lot of political education and trade unions and communities. Um, one of the things that sort of brought us together was the need to demystify orthodox economics um, at a time when people were being told that there is no alternative and uh, sort of try to encourage people to think critically about how the, how the world works. Um, Mel, you worked with Connor uh, even before I came along to, to work with Trademark. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I uh, discovered Connor um, when he came up to Belfast to do workshops down at, um, you remember the, the cafe in King Street? Oh, yeah. <laughs> remember that, Connor? Yes. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And we, we, um, we connected around that time. And then um, when mandate work kicked off, we would bring Connor into um, to the classes. And, and um, we had some funny moments um, with John Douglas mm-hmm. and Brian Forbes and people like that. Um, but it, it always amuses me whenever I say anything about Connor written about Connor or is somebody introduced him, they always um, uh, introduce him as an economist. And I know how annoyed he gets about that. You know, <laughs> yeah. I can, it, it, it always reminds me of the time that um, I was doing the economics module in, in my, my degree in work. And there was a question online and uh, I was trying to get... Uh, trying to get an answer to it and I asked Sean to come over and, and Sean helped me work out what this question is and he hadn't a clue what the, what the question was asking. So then I asked Stevie and Stevie hadn't a clue either. And then it was just like, um, you know, all my prayers had been answered. Connor appears at the door unannounced. Well, this man will know. Yeah, so uh, I brought him in and the three years were looking over my shoulder and not one of you had a clue about a basic economic uh, fundamental. So... Uh, I passed and eventually anyway under my own steam. Uh, yeah, it's only that you're the you're the most qualified of all. Yes, I'm, I'm the, the only a, one with any sort of economic background whatsoever. <laughs> but, uh, Connor, but Connor's work is all the all the stronger for it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Connor, we've we've been talking a long time about having you on, um, and this is long overdue. So so thanks for coming on in the first place. Oh, thanks for the invitation. Chuffed. Um, we've uh, we're to talk about a few things. We got you on to talk about a few things, um, but I think we'll start with uh, the economic dimensions of the current crisis in Ireland of the pandemic and the government's response to it, uh, and particularly because you've written a paper for for Unite on on this. Mm. Um, so we we'll start with maybe some of your observations, some of the observations you made about the immediate economic impact in Ireland and and what you make of the government's intervention today. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, as I kind of outlined in that paper for Unite, 
um like what i can see um is that is that the the kind of government's kind of response um has not has been you know in terms of a monetary kind of response rather than any kind of structural kind of response so um it has thrown money at the problem rather than looked at any kind of structural you know kind of changes or any kind of structural dynamics and it's done that for a very good reason on its part it's much easier to change um a payment than to change an actual structure you know to actually kind of reverse it so um uh, the one thing that they've done that would be kind of a quasi kind of structural is is the uh it was uh, the announcement to take over the 13 private hospitals um now as it turns out they just renting them um but still i mean a rubicon has been has been crossed here you know they've shown that uh the the kind of sanctity of um private property rights which they keep on citing for not getting near uh, private hospitals and and have been citing since the 1940s i mean this is part of the whole like mother and and child scheme as well you know um that's been thrown out the window so they will roll back on that um but they've shown that you know that sometimes even in even in the south um um the common good can trump over kind of private well private interests in terms of their kind of grants and loans and those kind of schemes uh, there's the ones for uh, for workers which broadly i would welcome i think that they've they did the right thing uh, they made the kind of covid payment 300 and and like 50 euros that was right um and they brought in a kind of furlough scheme that was right as well uh, but strangely for a a pro business party such as kind of Fine Gael, um their business supports have been skewered really towards banks and and landlords and again it's 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 they're geared towards not upsetting the the kind of status quo in terms of how landlords make money and how banks make money so they've brought in kind of loan schemes when really a, what we need is a commercial debt kind of write down um and they've brought in other kind of um how to set up online schemes these are all kind of just tinkering at the edges um if you have um an uh, economy that more or less kind of shuts down for three to kind of six months. Um, it's insane to then ask those businesses to pay their bills as if nothing had happened. That just makes, you know, even me with no kind of economic background can, can, can work that one out. Um, so, but what they've done is that if you do that, someone's going to lose out. So who loses and who would lose out there would be kind of commercial landlords and uh, and banks. Now the ECB has said that it will do whatever it takes to keep banks kind of floating. So there is room there for debt write down, and the ECB has 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 made it clear that it, that it will do it all. And um, but the government is not going there. You know, I mean, you know, it's it it seems to me to be there's an ideology at play here. I mean, like one of the reasons why I. I hate being called or being associated with kind of economics is that for me it's on par with theology. You know, it's a it's a belief system that has um a tenuous link with kind of reality. You know, it's a bit like 
a scientist being compared to an astrologist. I mean, you just go, why would you do this? You know? Um, but what they've done though, is that um, they have this kind of view that if the state steps in and starts giving out negative interest loans, which at the very least they should do, and I'll go into that maybe later on, why interest-free or all kind of negative interest loans for businesses are kind of important. But they won't do it because that would then, in their view, that would crowd out uh, business then for the banks. And the banks are under pressure because they, they've, they've got to make money from loans. So there's these kind of tensions that are at play and, and the Fine Gael administration, you can't call it a, a kind of government at the moment, but this administration um, has made that decision um, to, to go with banks and landlords over SMEs, and SMEs being small to medium-sized businesses, who employ around 70% of all people outside of the, the kind of public sector and our kind of finance. So it's a significant employer. Most of these uh, businesses are 10 to 50 kind of, you know, employees. They're small, but that's the actual backbone. And the non-export as well. So if you hear any kind of government kind of minister saying that exports are going to save us, that isn't the case for these SMEs that have been shut down. They are engaged in services that are non-export, you know. Yeah, yeah. so it's, uh, it's partly ideology. I think we've talked before about uh, the finance minister and how he's a pure ideologue, so free market ideologue when it comes to these these matters. Pascal Donahue, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, and partly shoring up the economic interest mm. that, that were protected last time around and allowed to profit from from. Mm. The, he's read the me book. Process. Have I told you that? He's read me book. Have I told you that? Donahue. Yeah, he did. Um, he um, he wrote a paper. An, um, a quasi-academic paper on kind of monetary policy for the Jesuits kind of journal. I don't know its name now. Um, and, and, he, and he quotes my book in it. And he, and he goes through, you know, and as, and as kind of Conor McCabe says, in kind of sense of the father, you know, um, our, our kind of monetary policy was still kind of governed from Britain. You know, there was huge kind of problems with this. There was no growth in like credit, you know, and, and he agrees with all the facts that I lay out, but he <laughs> says, I don't agree with any uh, of his kind of solutions, you know, which I thought was very interesting yeah. because like if he's gone so far, if he walks up to the mountain, how can he not take up the tablets, man? I mean, fuck's sake, you know? So, um, so yeah. So anyway, so that's just me just saying, he read the book. So there you go. Yeah, well, that, that, that's that's one you can dine out on. At some point. Ah, sure, this is it. Like you know. Now, what's your take on the on the government response? Um. Well, it, I mean, it's sort of similar, really, in in the sense that um, and with what's going on in Britain, um, and of course the the ideology behind both governments is quite similar, um. I suppose the advantage that that um, Britain has over um, the Republic of Ireland is is the Bank of England and and access to currency and all of that sort of stuff that you know they're not dependent on on the European Bank uh, Central Bank making those um, decisions for them around liquidity and all of that. But um, the question for me is 
I mean, if you watch what happened at the start, it's very like 2008. You remember in 2008 where there was, you know, for a couple of weeks after the the, the intensity of the, the shock, um, the um, news programs and the, the, the debate shows were all full of what's going to replace the system. The system is, was, was fucked, basically, and, and they were talking about what's going to replace capitalism. And there was all sorts of ideas, mm. all sorts of left-wing people on, um, talking about um, you know alternatives to the, to neoliberalism, uh, and then very very quickly when they settled down and the sweat dried on them a bit, they regrouped and they come back with austerity, mm. and I think exactly the same sort of thing happened um, uh, at the start of the pandemic. They knew that it was going to hit the economy very hard. They had to sort of see um, do something to make sure that economically it wasn't as big a shock to workers. Um, and that the economy could hit the ground running. And um, so that's what they did. Um, the problem is that that story has changed just like it did in 2008. It's now, how are we going to pay for all of this? Um, and people are asking the question, is is austerity, would austerity even do it? Because I'm not so sure these people know or understand the severity of what we're looking into. You know, you know, just measuring it up against what happened in previous depressions, mm. be a whole lot worse than the the Great Depression. You know, and I don't see a austerity on its own being enough, um, uh, having enough in it to 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 gain back what they've paid out. Yeah, I mean, yes. Sorry, Sean. Sorry. I think I think we can see uh, already in the newspapers that the ground has been prepared for austerity, and I know that. I think Donahue gave a interview during the week there, where he was warning about the uh, he was warning about the scale of the deficit, mm. that it would have to be clawed back sooner rather than later, and this would mean some hard political choices and so on. And Varadkar came in and uh, backed him up in that regard. Um, there's another poll I think showed that the Irish population and as a whole expects a, a wave of austerity. Um, and I think you've mentioned in your, somewhere in your paper that, that that the Irish are almost conditioned to accept austerity when it when it comes. Um, but the the question I was going to ask you, Connor, but is that does the argument for austerity start from a weakened position this this time around? Um, given that a lot of the myths around the necessity of it have been exposed twice in the course of a of a generation. Um, Seeing public funds being used in a massive way once again, albeit to shore up capital, but but you know we're seeing massive amounts of, of public spending. Um, I think the the SRI and even the the Fiscal Advisory Council have come out in the last few days and have warned. They're not warning against austerity, but they're warning against the you know a severe um, radical program of austerity. And then lastly, Ireland is all, the, one of the outliers in Europe that's seen a shift uh, amongst the younger generation towards um, left green sort of politics. Uh, you know, it's, it's strange that in, in our, at, this, at the time when politics is moving to the right in, in many countries, um, we've seen a tilting in the balance of political forces towards, towards the left and, and away from the establishment in Ireland. So does all those things make the argument for austerity weaker in Ireland and, and present an opportunity for for an alternative path out of it. 
Yeah, I mean, like, um, I think that there are some big differences with the situation kind of today than with kind of 2008. And it is more, and it is a, it's a generational thing as, as well. Um, I don't see this generation that's, that's come of age just in the last kind of 10 years. I don't see them waiting six years until they start protesting against austerity, as we did. I mean, we can talk around the 2009 uh, march up to the top of, of the Christchurch in Dublin. Um, but it didn't really go anywhere after that. Like, you know, so there's about 80,000 people there. Um, but the real one then is we're kind of uh, right to order and then kind of right to change. But on top of that, like, like you have a generation now who in the last five years have, have legalized gay marriage brought in kind of equal marriage, have brought in abortion in the South and have smashed the two-party right-wing system. And they're not even 30 yet. So <laughs> whatever they've got planned for the future, I'm going to sit back and enjoy this ride because I don't see them sitting around having gotten three wins, two and a half wins. I don't see them sitting around waiting either for leadership from, from above or from outside or from anyone, including us. I mean, from so-called experts. I mean, I don't see that happening either. Um, they'll listen to us if they need us. And if they don't, they won't. And that's the way that it should be, you know, from a, from a conferarian point of view. And I, I, I still hold on to my conferarian hat, you know, that, you, that, that experts should be just bystanders and you're just there to be used and and hopefully you will be but if you're not if you're not hopefully then it's going to carry on as well so i just don't see it i like i'm i'm not saying that um that that austerity won't happen i think what will happen is that like i i would not underestimate the shock that the water movement gave to the establishment here because the one thing and and by here i mean in the south of of ireland but the one thing they feared about right to water wasn't the payments it wasn't about the money it wasn't about the bonds it wasn't about dennis o'brien or any kind of elites it was about giving the working class a win they fucking did not want that because once you give them a win they get a taste for it and once you get a taste for winning, they wouldn't go back then to losing. Or, or if they do, it'll be for a fight. So you have a generation now under 30 in the South, and I'd say in, in the North as well, um, who've had wins, and they like it. And, and um, part of the stuff that I left out earlier on was about um, the kind of... the the kind of response of the government, and I focus mainly on business, they've done very little for renters. And this is generation rent. Mm. So, like, we need a rent jubilee. It's the only way to actually get through this, you know? On an individual level, like, there's anecdotal, you know, you know kind of stories of landlords who are doing this. But it, it needs to be systemic all the way across. So, they can go for kind of austerity, but they'll have a fight on their hands. And they have people now who have skills, skills in organizing, 
organizing online, skills in like campaigning, skills on in like knocking on doors, skills in kind of making leaflets and pamphlets and memes, doing all those things. And they've got wins. They they know how to win because they they've done it already. Now it'll be a fight. Like I mean, like when I heard the at the ESRI and those other kind of institutions kind of coming out and saying, Oh, we need to be a bit a bit kind of softly, softly. Um how much leeway do I have here? Go ahead. What do you want? <laughs> so, we'll take the head. <laughs> that that sounds to me like your institutional theme of fall thinking, mm. which is based on give them enough to keep them happy, and then we'll get away then with all the rest. So they're coming out, I'd say, just to cover kind of Michal Martin's arse. And start saying stuff about well, if it, you know, if a government is being formed, then we need to do something around housing and something around rents and something around kind of these things. And and and, and you may try, and, and you may throw kind of something at it. But you can see from kind of Leo kind of Radkar, when he's left off script, when he when he talks from his own brain cells, you can see that you know he is institutional. He is just genetically neoliberal. It's like he's just, he cannot understand how anyone cannot think that way. That He genuinely believes that poor people are lazy and they're scum. He believes it. I'm certain yeah, of it. You it's know? venomous hatred of the poor, isn't it? It is, you know. And Pascal doesn't have that. You know, Pascal's coming from your right-wing Catholic social teaching view, which is what passes Falkland ideology in Ireland anyway. And that gets into the whole kind of Comprador class. Um, I feel like I've really talked a lot here, lads. So... Jump in and tell me where I'm talking. Well, well it's, it's interesting that um, you you know you make the the um, the link with with the younger generation because we were we're delivering our classes, um, and and you know how those classes go and the focus on on history and the development yeah. of, of various crises down through the years, and I, I remember you know last summer we were doing some work with young people in our office and. You know, saying to Sean, I'm just getting blank stares here. I'm talking about 2008 and I'm getting blank stares. Mm. They don't know anything about it. And Sean had to remind me, he says, Mel, those, those young people are only five and six at that time. And for me, yeah. it's like it happened yesterday. Um, but for younger people, you know, when you talk about things like that, um, it, it's history. Uh, so all of the defeats of the past, they haven't really experienced them either. No. Because, um, mm. Defeats are demoralizing as well. Uh, and I think a lot of that is even playing out in the, um, you can see that in the actions of workers uh, who've been faced with the challenge of, do I go back to work in unsafe conditions um, because I need to keep feeding my family? Um, and taking the decision despite the lack of, of um, advice and guidance, because a lot of them work working on unionized workplaces. Mm. And no, I'm not doing it. No, fucking you do it. You know, and, and there's an upsurge in that, and, th- and that's very encouraging as well. Like, you know, on that point, I mean, just to, just, just to, to, to kind of, uh, you know, kind of riff off that. Um, well, riff off it. Um, yeah, it's true. Like, you know, I, I was talking about this younger, this younger kind of generation who I think have a lot of energy to them. They have proven wins. But at the same time, those wins were done with the institutional, with the with the institutions of the left involved as well. So, you, so for me, like we still need 
the kind of politicians and we still need kind of trade unions because it isn't just a case of feet on the street. That isn't going to be enough. It never is. Nor it is kind of your social partnership backroom deals ever enough. You, like, like you still need that tension. And I see that tension there between grassroots and your institutions of the left, which are broadly trade unions and, and parties. There are no think tanks really of the left on this island that would be kind of in, in, that would be kind of institutional, you know. So, 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 so it's mainly those two blocks, but they've got a lot to like bring to the table here, including the fact that they they are organised kind of nationally and on a twenty-two county mm. basis. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and that is absolutely massive and absolutely huge. They've got kind of resources. So, what you need, I think, is is that how do you how do you get that energy of these two forces bouncing off each other? then channel that energy into something that is genuinely transformative, you know? Yeah, I think a few years ago, during during the Right to Change initiative, you published a a document for them outlining the the idea of Irish Commonwealth. Yeah. The the party political left, the the trade unions, uh, communities, and I suppose you could add into into the mix that, that younger generation uh, of you know younger radical generation mm. has been politicized um is, is that what we're still looking at yeah i mean you know like there's nothing new in that kind of idea i mean like someone who would have who really articulated it well who articulates it well is is hillary uh, wainwright mm. uh, who's, who, who, who you know who's written a really good book on this whose name now actually kind of New politics from the left. left, you know, where she really kind of laces all out forever. Like, I mean, this is this is a natural, as natural as can be, uh, strategy that goes back in terms of the left, goes back hundreds of years, you know. But it works, you know. It's tough. It's hard work. Um, a lot of it is boring, um, but it matters. And then, at the same time, you need some kind of coaching, kind of analysis, and I, I suppose that's what hopefully we try to bring to the table you know in our own in our own ways um a movement it's like for me education is crucially important and the main reason is not for a kind of catechism of the left where you Mm. roll off this is what you must do you must storm the white palace you must have your 10 demands you know um, you know, it's, it's all those things. No, it's about when you're in a fight of that nature, you need to know how to improvise. And you need to improvise and hit your target. That takes training. So you need to know who you're up against. You need to know where, where are they strong? Where, where are they weak? So you can then, when you get into it, you can improvise, change tactics in order to achieve your overall kind of strategy. If I have one kind of criticism of how the Irish left organizes, I have many as we all do, like it's, mm. a, it's, a, it's a pet project <laughs> of the left to kind of beat itself up forever. I'm gonna blame our kind of our, our crippling post-colonial self-doubt on that, you know? <laughs> um, but, but whatever it, it is, um, like, when you are able to think on your feet, then you can actually kind of change those things. So one of the things that left tends to do, I think, is it has tactics, which is rigid, 
So then what goes is your strategy and your objectives. What you need to do is be flexible in your tactics and absolutely fundamentalist in your objectives. So what do you want to achieve? And then you go, well, how do, how do we achieve this? That is then framed by your overall kind of, um, by your belief system, by your kind of, you know, belief in kind of uh, grassroots democracy, keeping all those things in, in, in place, and then have strategies. For example, one very, very small one, um, which, uh, which can run a record, who I'm sure, like, yeah. knows she works for, for Unite, a brilliant activist. But, like, um, she was involved in, in the right to water. And she talked about when, when the police in, in Coolock on the north side of Dublin were being perceived to be kind of heavy-handed. Um, what the women did was that they organized a protest outside Coolock uh, Gara station, but he stood in, like, single file up along the Oscar Trainer Road wearing kind of high-vis and, and like holding candles. Startling image. Freaked the guards out. Didn't know how to handle it because they were ready for a physical confrontation and couldn't, and couldn't uh, do it. Now, if you have a centralized tactics group, there's no way that four or five blokes, and it does tend to be blokes, that four or five blokes are going to think up something like that. This is where it gets into as where you need to be have education is allow people to think on their feet, improvise, and yet still stay true to what they believe in, to make sure that their tactics don't fall into, you know, kind of neoliberal short-termisms. You know, where do you think that well, this tax break might help us? Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, if you even even in industrial disputes, if you if you think about. Um, mandates the battle with with Tesco's who have infinitely more resources than than the union does mm. and all the weight of legislation in their favor as well so you know the you know during that that particular strike they knew and understood that as a union you, you just can't you can't sort of um you can't win this on, on our own we need to bring community active activists in you know so if someone comes along and says uh, you're not allowed any more than six pickets and then a, a, a load of people, 20 or 30 people from a housing estate turn up and say, oh, no, we don't know anything about the law. It's, what are you yeah. talking about? We're not part of the union. We're just we're, we're here to show solidarity with the workers. The whole system then breaks down. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, when they, um, that's a, an organization like Tesco's will weigh up the forces and they'll say, right, well, mandate will, uh, this will cripple them. They'll not want to stay or in, in battle with us for too long and they wouldn't even have considered that they might have an alliance with the local people or um, unions embedded in the communities which it should have been yeah i mean you know even on that kind of tesco's i mean like, like no from talking to the lads that um that tesco management was not expecting the the, the boycott to work they were not mm-hmm. expecting be, uh, the irish mm-hmm. people they thought would cross a kind of picket line now there was some that wore fucking black legs but like most a large enough number didn't to really give that strike uh, force. Going back to tactics, look at Debenhams at the moment. Like the idea, yeah. like the ideas in terms of how do you protest in a COVID nineteen kind of situation? You have the Debenhams workers organically coming up with strategies and 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 well with tactics that are serving a purpose in that it's keeping the story in the news, which is the real kind of 
at this stage, it's all that you really can do, right? But they're doing it through various kind of methods that are working. Like any kind of, like for me, any kind of a progressive movement, it has to trust people. It has to trust the grassroots instead of fearing it, which it tends to do. And that's what happens in any kind of centralized organization. They'll bring that centralized template to how things work and you go no if you want genuine radical change you know if you love them let them go you know this is it <laughs> yeah. you know this this is what has to happen one of the things that that struck me about the the, the solidarity the community solidarity that there was with mm. with the striking workers at the time was that it seemed to me to be at least one of the outcomes of mandate being an organizing community focused union, one that tried to establish, re-establish roots. Um, and to say, look, we are off you, we we are, we are you, you know, rather than standing at a remove, um, trying to re-establish those connections with 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 working class communities in a way that hadn't really well, they had been let slip for for a long time. Yeah, and and for me, like like again, it's not a case of the trade unions are coming in, they're trying mm. to radicalize people or they're trying to put energy into a situation that isn't there. That isn't the case. There's massive energy out there. Yeah. So like as like trade unionists, we've got two choices. We can be part of that energy or we can ignore it. Why would you ignore it? Why would you use, like as you were saying there, ML, I mean that idea of saying, well, we're not trade unionists, but we're picketing, so fuck yous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's just, why not tap into that, you know? Um, so again, like, you know, what I think will be interesting, now it might turn out that like Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil, and if the Greens do go in, the Greens as well, that they'll have an easy ride with like, with kind of austerity. I don't see that. Um, like I like I don't even think like I I don't think they'd be able to sell it to the people again, you know. And um, if they do, they'll have a fight in their hands, hopefully. And then it gets into this fight will happen. We know this. Those who are young, who are who are organising, they'll do it anyway, mm. whether we're part of it or not. Like this this arrogance that's in kind of trade unions and, and like politicians as well in, in the parties. We're the vanguard. We're the ones who will lead this. No, this is happening anyway, lads. You can be part of it or you can, st- or you can be kind of left behind. That's think, your choice. Yeah, I think that, that's exactly what happened with the, the we go keep going back to the Right to Water campaign, but it's, it's the, the prime example in our... In our yeah, um, and one that worked. Were the, were the unions, the main unions involved said, you know, we're not organizing this. Um, this isn't our initiative. This is already happening in communities. Punters are getting out at six o'clock in the morning, mm. bent the install, installation of water meters. They're already resisting water charges and privatization. Yeah. Our job in here is to facilitate this. Brilliant. Absolutely. Facilitate this as best we can. If yeah. we use the resources that we have and then to, towards that, you know, end, then, then all the better. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to come, you mentioned the, the government formation talks. I suppose we'll have to touch on that. Like um me and you had a had a brief chat during the week about this. Um where do you see it going? Um well you might not say what you said to me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh where do you see it going? Um what are the odds on on the Greens um 
supporting the f- or joining forces with Finnegill and Finnafall. I don't think it's a full done deal, and that's being honest. And it's because of the two thirds kind of majority that's needed by kind of party membership. Now, again, anecdotal like evidence. Um, never in the Greens, uh, so I could be wrong here. But back in two thousand and seven, when when Patricia McKenna left and that block left, the analysis that was coming out in the newspapers anyway, you know, they just pardon me, was that. After the implosion of the PDs, um, a lot of their, of their base saw the growth in the Greens and moved in there. So there was a rump, there was a kind of PD rump who had kind of voting rights and they were, and they were voting away, like, as well as just the Greens, you know, um, did that Green Party itself. This time around, there's a much, there's a very young um, like membership who are quite left wing, quite radical. And my, and my, you know, and my small experience of doing talks um, in Belfast is that the Greens in Belfast are not like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, I mean, it's a left wing, it's a left wing grouping, you know, like you've got, you know, a kind of formidable kind of Marxist in terms of uh, Dr. Brady, you know, uh, no, sorry, I've gotten Barry. Yeah. Oh, Barry, sorry, I, I always get my Johns yeah. mixed up. Yeah, you professor. Know, actually. Yeah, oh, professor. professor now you see, there you go. Yeah, in the he, would, he, he would have he would have known the answer to your question, Mel. So there you go. No, we had we had John on the on the you podcast a, a number of weeks back, mm. uh, and his his assessment of it is the same as yours. Basically, he said that he doesn't think that the membership would go for it, particularly yeah. because the northern members are are over, overwhelmingly sort of left wing, much more. Yeah. Than the greens and in, in the south. Yeah, and and you know, well. yeah, and you know, and you know, it's a great, it's it's great kind of testimony to the to the practitioners' uh, thinking of the Southern Irish media that they they've no, they don't even realise that the Green Party is a is an All Ireland party. They don't actually realise that. They don't get that it's organised in the north and you know does comparatively well for a small party, you know. I mean, how many how many councils did it win last time? Was it three, four in the Belfast? I uh, they've got four, I think. Yeah. Four. I mean, you know, like I mean, that's a, that that's good steady growth, like you know. And they're also they. Yeah, 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 yeah. The really good kind of politics, you know, and um, and then you have you know in the south, you know, there's like the Cork branches are are, are obviously the, the kind of most vocal. Now mm. it might get true, but. Um, if it doesn't, like they've got a backup plan, which is the the independence, you know, and they'll and they'll kind of trundle along. The gas thing about it is that this is all about Michal Martin being Taoiseach. It actually isn't in Fianna Fáil. It's, it's not in Fianna Gael's interests to actually form this government at this moment. Yeah, it, it's interesting because it's a weird one. Yeah, before the crisis, they'd sort of they'd more or less said that, hadn't they? Mm. They said the Irish people have spoken. And it's clear that they want change. We don't really want to, um, uh, to to form this 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 grand coalition, and then the I think the crisis presented for Edgar with a fucking uh, a gilded chance to come across as as a statesman. You know, like I have a son living in Dublin at the minute, and um, in in the run up to the last election, he he was saying to me, I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast, but. He's living with his girlfriend. I don't know. <laughs> nah, he's he, he, he's, he's not listening. Listen, 
he won't listen to his dad's podcast. I mean, that's not going to yeah. happen, you know. So, but um, he he was excited at the prospect of voting for the first time in a, in a free state election. Sorry, Republic of Ireland election. Yeah, and, uh, that's where it is. It, it's still um, stuck in nineteen. It's still it's still nineteen twenty two. But in my he head was. They, they were excited at the prospect. Him and his girlfriend that they were going to vote um, Sinn Fein, and that. Um, this was a, a complete break from the the way the family block that he's living with had voted over the generations, mm. and that sense that you know the elation uh, at the results in the elections that there was real change afoot in Ireland. And then he rings me a couple of weeks after when he's in lockdown and he's isolating, and he says, "It's fucking unbelievable how things have changed." Everybody saying, "Wasn't Veratko great on the TV last night?" Didn't he come across as a really good leader? And and all of a sudden, opinion polls can shift. You know, and I don't think that that radical um, uh, young sort of dynamic is going anywhere. Um, no, it's a light it's off the hook, hasn't it? It is, you know, and, and and also, I mean, like they've shown themselves to be policy based. They vote on policy. Sinn Fein mm. got less than ten percent in the locals in in like twenty nineteen. Yeah, uh, it got seven percent in the in in a presidential kind of election, and then guess, and then guess, like twenty four percent in the general, you know. Now it'll yeah. it'll hang on to that vote. It, like we'll mm-hmm. hang on to it. Like Mary Lou has definitely consolidated herself as a Taoiseach in in waiting, and people believe it, you know. And so that's that, that's half of uh, 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 of the battle. Um, but in terms of the of the government itself, like Fine Gael, I reckon that they they're tired. Ten years in government that hasn't been easy for them. I'm not being that. That sounds like um, I'm feeling yeah, sorry fuck for them. them. Just throwing well, a fuck them. You know, fuck them. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but they're probably exhausted anyway. Um, but also, I reckon that there was a touch of the nineteen of the nineteen twenty four. To them, was it twenty four when British Labour first got into power and it was a minority government? And it just fell in its arse, like, yeah. you know, like, and, and I reckon that was the thinking, let the uh, shinners in, they'll fuck up, and then we'll come in as the big boys in the room, you know, as the adults in the room, and then we'll kind of clean up, like, you know. Um, so that was part of, of their thinking. Now they've been gifted this forever, but really, like, people can see that, like, you know, that it's going towards Fine Gael have a future, Sinn Féin most definitely have a future. Um, what future does does Fianna Fáil have apart from Michal Martin being a uh, being Taoiseach and he has gutted whatever was in that party everything in, in the last 10 years has all been about his venal um, selfish mm. ambition Martin has invested everything in getting into government um, that's it you know at any cost to the point that Fianna Fáil's support or any support that he managed to win mm. the last election has been totally yeah. Um, yeah. They Sinn Féin aren't going anywhere. I just wondered whether you see the prospect of another election anytime soon, because if there would be one, it would have to take place under different sort of circumstances. I don't know what they're looking at, whether it be online voting or postal voting, but something along those lines would certainly benefit the left and, and Sinn Féin in particular, I would say. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, there is a kind of possibility. I think if, if the Greens don't pass it, 
And um, you know, if they if they do can stay out, like stay out, there's enough there in independence for them to cobble something together. You know, there's a few kind of pock barrel things. You know, a cat lab for Waterford, and you know, there's you know, there's a few things they can do that'll cost kind of peanuts in mm. in the in the grand scheme of things. You know, um, you know, more roads for Kerry. Um, so they'll cobble something together and they'll do it again in kind of national interest. But Leo, but like Mark, like what's Fianna Fáil's future after this? Like, like if you're like, if you're a right wing, if you're a right wing fuck, like if you're like 1920 and a right wing bollocks, like why would you join Fianna Fáil? Fianna Gael is... Don't issue one time. Exactly, you know. So like join kind of Fianna Gael. They're the future, you know, if you're a, a, a see you next Tuesday, you know. Join them, and if you're anyway kind of a progressive, there's either Sinn Fein, there's the Greens, there's Edis, and there's the Sock Dems. Sock Dems had a really good election, and they were forced out. They know, like they, I think that 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 they were smart enough to like know that that Sinn Fein are not going into government on their own. Everyone knows this. They they they're going to need some partners, and and um, and Roisin Shortall. She's been around and knows that they have six now. They could get 12, maybe 15 the next time. And they'd be junior partners, a week on a Sinn Féin, you know? So, I mean, you know, so, so, so you're looking at from a, a progressive a, a point of view, the Sinn Féin as your rump, as your ballast kind mm. of a progressive uh, party. And then you have all the other parties um, who could actually kind of um, either kind of drag them more left or dragging to the center this there must be some fierce kind of conversations going on in people before profit yeah because they could actually be ministers next time around i know it's not in their genes i know it's not in what the Trotskyist parties are about and i respect you know what they're about they are what they are you know mm. there's a lot of people who will he will distance like i don't but you could actually see um like like Richard Boyd Barrett as a government minister next time around. I think you, during the last election campaign, you could see people before profit and in particular starting to soften its attitude towards Sinn Féin. So uh, and why they, they won seats was like transfers from like Sinn Féin. They were fucked otherwise. Yeah. And yeah. there's the argument that I suppose that next time around, if Sinn Féin were to fill in extra candidates, they would be Sinn Féin seats. No. And, and Dublin and Dublin Midwest, uh, it, it shows that, a wick on a Gino Kenny, where, where Sinn Féin ran, where there was supposed to be two left seats. Sinn Féin runs kind of Mark Ward and a Gona Brain. Did, did a brilliant job on the vote mm. management, did an absolutely brilliant job on the vote management, told everyone to transfer to Gino and he got Gino through mm. you know so it's not no Sinn Féin have been taking seats from the other like it's mad it's like this is a left vote and then it goes back to how how the young people are like voting they are voting left down the line how they see is left and again there's that kind of argument that you know is Sinn Féin left and blah 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 like mm. but they're but they're perceived as and people vote that way so it's... like you know like like there were not Sinn Féin have like 37 seats now and there was there was only one left wing seat lost and that was um what's the name for the socialist party uh, Coppinger. yeah the, the, the Coppinger, you know who just for their own reasons there's a lot of 
an, uh, antagonism mm-hmm. uh, in like Dublin West, and there was no kind of real kind of transfer kind of pact. But that was the only. So like, if if the left seats grew in the last kind of general election, that wasn't a case of like hungry hippos of like Sinn Fein just taking seats from 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 the left. Our kind of allocation of of seats they grew that vote and they mm-hmm. took seats from from everywhere from from Fianna Gael in in like the Midwest and, and from Fianna Fáil in the case of where I am in in Loud I mean there's no Fianna Fáil like Loud is another example of it Sinn Féin keep to Labour gets back in and the Green guy came very very close to, to taking a like fourth seat as well a bit more kind of vote management and a bit more savvy and that will kind of grow if the Greens mm. kind of stay out. Like. And places like Donegal as well. That's yeah. Sinn Féin there. Like. It wasn't. And like, you know, everyone thought, oh, well, that's it. Pringle's gone because yeah, Sinn Féin will like lose two seats. And they brought in Pringle then as well. Like, you know. Mm. So, you know, so I mean, like, like, like Catherine Connolly didn't lose her seat in, in Galway. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like it didn't happen. It only happened with kind of Ruth Coppinger. That was the only loss really at the degree to the left. Am I being? Was anyone else who lost a seat? Was it just Ruth? Or was anyone else on, on, on the left kind of going in who lost one? I can't think of anyone else. Can't think, no. You know, so you know what I mean, like you know, so the left vote grew and the and the seats grew. So the idea that like that Sinn Fein will just be take kind of seats that are already there. The evidence from the last election says otherwise. Yeah, and as. The, the point you made, the younger generation of Sinn Féin voters in particular, um, they already, their instinct is already to transfer left. So Exactly, you know, and, and, it's, and it's very important that they're not, it's not Sinn Féin voters. It isn't like in Belfast, you know, like, you know, these aren't, yeah. they're voting on the issues. Yeah. Sinn Féin kind of turns around and drops those issues. They'll move somewhere else. And they've shown that even in the last kind of 12 months. You know? So in terms of in terms of policy, um, just come back to some of the stuff you've been working on. You know, there's no shortage of ideas coming from the left in terms of hmm. how we come out of this, carve a path out of out of this crisis. You know, yourself and United have done good work, and we're seeing Tusk and Neri and and others hmm. intervening. Um, so I was just wondering what what sort of things should this left axis be? focusing on or what are the what are the main things that you would focus on coming out of this crisis or the main components of a sort of recovery and a regeneration program biggest thing for me is like you know is this is to work out how do we how do we tap into the grassroots and see what they're talking about you know and um and see where the energy is this is something that like politicians do anyway like like um like the Healy rays are doing exactly what I'm talking about here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like, that's what they do. They listen to the grassroots and they, and they tap into that. Don't listen to the media. Don't care what the media says. Also, the media is all shit if you have the grassroots at your back. So it's about how do we, how do we build up this kind of conversation and like dialogue with the kind of grassroots? How do we also do what our job is, which is kind of left kind of edu- which is which is kind of left kind of education, activist kind of education, which is really about giving people tools to see where power lies and then and then kind of work out how to hit it. And um and, and then see what goes from there, you know. So I mean like I'm already 
back on the road again, just giving mm. talks and like, doing kind of workshops, enjoying it. I missed the grassroots so much because you get challenged. People, they'll say to you, that's, that, 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 that doesn't make sense. And you refine and you, and you kind of change kind of your, like, your kind of analysis then based on that. So it's really up to like, w- like what will the two main blocks do? What will the kind of political left how will they kind of approach it you know will will Sinn Féin sit on its hands and just sit it out and go well we're the government in waiting anyway so we so like we just like play itself safe not gonna fuck up keep on talking about health and housing and kind of ride it out like you know um and then it gets into what's the role for the sock dams here you know a bit quite centrist but like you know but there are kind of left people in it as, as well and then it gets into like I think that people before profit have, a, have an interesting role kind of going forward because um, they can actually drag that, that kind of aggressive. They, they're the only grouping I can think of, them and the Greens, funny enough, are the only two groupings who I think are actually have genuine radicals in them. Like there are genuine radicals in the Green Party and there are genuine radicals in people before profit. And they would actually drag that center more left, I think, if they're more active and if, you know, and, and if they're still around, you know. Mm. If we leave yeah. the Greens to the, to the government, we'll lose a lot of kind of radicals. And there are, there are genuine radicals in the Greens, you know, you know, in terms of ideas. It's a very interesting party. Mm. Yeah, that blog has to have a left-wing conscience, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. That's, that's exactly it, wherever. So... If you, if you don't have that block, then it, then it becomes about power. Mm. And just getting power, it turns into a kind of a Blairite type kind of situation where you say, well, once the brand gets into government, once the brand wins, then we've kind of achieved something. No, like you need that left-wing conscience. And yeah. I think that's the Greens and that's kind of people before profit. And that's not to kind of denigrate the they suck thems in like any way but you know what they are you know it's a good yeah. it's a it's a it's a it's a social democratic party it's in its name you know and that's great because there's a real there's a real vote for that there you know i think for you know for for the alliance that we're talking about um the forces are all still there in place you know you you still have those those um progressive unions that if a yeah. bit of work if a bit of work was done on that block could, mm. could come together again and maybe even bring other uh, trade unions in and, and, and strengthen that force. Um, and, um, you know, with a bit of work, as you've I've, I've just detailed there among the, the political forces of the left, um, you know, there's, I, I don't see any reason why there couldn't be a concerted um, effort. Uh, I, I don't know the state of, state of play among um Windy organizers as much as I did at the time when I was deeply involved in it. Yeah. But I imagine that, as you said, people will be out on the streets. People's not going to wait six years. I don't think um, so. No, yeah. no, I, I don't think so. Um, the issue for me is that, you know, we talk about a, a left-wing conscience. Uh, it, it's always, for me, it's always been trying to get people to think in terms of class. Um, mm-hmm. And not class in the, the, the sense of, you know, your class identity around, you know, what kind of, um, closure or what your accent is, but that relationship between um, workers, the state, and and power, and the and and who has the power. Yeah, and people are starting to think along those terms now. We need to capitalise on that. 
No, again, uh, sorry, Sean, sorry. Yeah, just to, just to add to what Mela said, um, Connor, you spent a number of years working in the belly of the beast mm. in, in Leicester House. Uh, yes, five years. Five years, was it? Um, so just in, in relation to parliamentary and extra-parliamentary forces and agitation, I guess, did that experience change your, or shape your view in terms of uh, the utility or otherwise of parliamentary activity? Um, it did, you know. I mean, the, there's no doubt kind of about it, you know. Um, like I see, like for me, it really clarified just a lot of things. It was really less about the left and more about just how the state thinks and how the, the state operates. I was, I was blessed, very fortunate to be uh, involved with, with the public accounts committee. Well, first with the bank inquiry, and that was invaluable uh, with Pierce Doherty. And then with the public accounts committee. So you're seeing week upon week how the Irish state thinks what is kind of what is kind of common sense and what my job now i think is is to take all of that and say well this is how kind of they think so how do we tackle that how do we kind of take them on um in terms of 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 kind of parliamentary kind of thinking unlike some elements of the more radical left i do see a role for kind of parliamentarianism in any kind of left strategy and the reason being is that that's where laws are made that's where fucking laws are made and if we're not shaping laws they will that's it. So we had one very, very small win as an opposition. That was the, the ban of theirs, the ban of theirs kind of legislation, which we agitated for, pushed through. How we pushed it through was that I, I, I wrote a bill on it. And that kind of forced the hand, forced the, the government then to, to, to do something about it. They brought in a watered down version, but we were able to kind of beef it up in like committee so it's getting that you know that kind of understanding of law and how important kind of law is in all of this um like i beck when i was there for the five years first wednesday of every month seven forty-five a.m until 8 30 a.m um or sometimes 8 30 a.m until 9 30 i beck would have a briefing in in buswell's hotel for for TDs and or their staff, where they would say what they would see as the pressing issues kind of going forward every month, every year. They're never outside of it. I very rarely saw kind of trade unionists on campus, which is what the, they called the adult uh, itself, but I never saw them really there, apart from maybe for like high-profile kind of committee hearings, which really, if you've been brought into a committee your work is already done. That's just the front of shop stuff. That's just for the cameras, really. Um, so what I saw was if, like, if we don't take parliamentarianism seriously, the right certainly does. They're writing laws. They're shaping laws all the time. The problem, of course, from a left perspective is where you fall into parliamentarianism. That's the only thing where then you must stop all of that agitational stuff because that's taken away from us doing our job i would argue no it's people on the street that actually keeps you on the straight and narrow politicians hate it which is even more reason why to do it you know so that's where it goes back to that kind of commonwealth idea it's not about reaching consensus as such you want to have a tension there because that tension is a very positive one 
and it keeps all three sides um, on their toes, you know. So you want to keep kind of politicians and the trade unions on their toes and also keep kind of grassroots to actually get them to say, well, lads, listen, you're, you're not going to change the world on your own. You do need trade unions and you do need politicians. I'm sorry, you may not like them, but you need them, you know. So we all need kind of each other here. And it's about kind of having that kind of, you know, that kind of vision of it. Mm. Yeah, well, just to say that that band of ours legislation, it was, uh, it, yeah, you were playing it down a bit. It was a big win. It was, you know, I mean, you know, it was an opposition win, even though it was a government bill, you know, because we just kept on pushing at it, you know, and that was down to like, like mandate played a blinder there as well. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, like we'd worked out like at the very start of it, we were sitting down and I won't go into, I don't want to speak out of class, but like we, we recognized that the soft underbelly here was Fianna Fáil. So who you lobby are, are the Fianna Fáil for this. <coughs> and once Fianna Fáil could see that there were votes in this, like once, once, mm. um, who's your man down in, in, in Limerick again? Um, Willie, uh, Willie O'Dea, yeah. yeah. So we just said, lobby Willie, he's on the kind of committee. Um, it's an open secret that he can't stand, Michal Martin. Um, so, you know, I hope that's not libelous. Is it? Will he get sued now, will you? But, um, we don't have any money. We never said it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. They'll be after all my books and my grains. They will. My grains. <laughs> um, oh, this is just audio, so no one sees then the video. Oh, well, so that's it. It's, it's a visual joke, lads. Sorry. <laughs> um, but um, so there was a strategy kind of built in that, that there's no point lobbying the progressive politicians, they're on board anyway. Lobby Fianna, Lobby Fianna Fáil, they're the soft, they're the belly. The same thing will happen in this next kind of election. No, sorry, in this next government. Fianna Fáil are going, like, there are going to be, there are 30, Fianna Fáil have 38 TDs, as far as I know. And 37 of them are going to be shitting themselves because they know that they are going to get a hammering from the Irish people next time around. So in terms of kind of lobbying, Fianna Fáil are weak. So if I was doing any kind of strategy now, I'd say, yeah, lobby Sinn Féin, lobby Sock Dems, and lobby Greens, of course, but also lobby you know, you know, Fianna Fáil because they need to know that there are votes in what you're putting forward. Once they can see that, then they will, they'll panic, you know? It's one of the benefits of having such a large party that are bereft of principles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you know, know they, they don't. No, absolutely. Well, well, look, I'd, I'd certainly agree with your analysis of the need to understand and contest those various spaces within the state. So as long as it doesn't descend into electoralism, looking at the that's the main thing, you know, you know, and also that you know, like, like for me, the problem is going to the other extreme where you just ignore mm. electoralism, and for me, that's just. Um, that's real kind of just, just, just like that's a real middle class view. I have to say that because only the only the middle classes can think that not changing the law is really not that important. That we can sit it out. The working classes are getting screwed here, lads. Workers are getting screwed. Trade unions aren't even recognised in the South, ever, even though it's in our fucking kind of constitution. You know, 
like you know these all can be these are laws that need to be changed it's only those who are not affected by those laws that can go on the high horse and say no let's just wait until a revolution is pure it's never pure it's messy it's messy and that's what it is and of course, like, like and contradictory trade union legislation like that, trade union recognition makes the next stage of uh, any sort of struggle easier for for the trade union and the, and the workers. Yeah, it's a bit like it's a bit like Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption. Like you keep on writing one letter a week and until he gives you a box of books, and then he says, "Right, well, Grant, now we'll start writing two letters a week." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> like you don't cut it back out you just push it and then you push it and then you push it and you just keep on pushing well, yeah, it, it, that, was, that was another thing that you had too Connor was um, raising class consciousness by film studies you know you used to come up with classic <laughs> things to show us yeah. what we could learn from Hollywood ah uh-huh. she listen that's uh-huh. the that's the crack like you know well look it, it certainly, certainly seems to me that the foundations and the energy for that sort of parliamentary and extra parliamentary in and against the state sort of movement is, is there. Um, and of course, political education will play a big part of that. So it's good to hear that you're back on the road, Connor. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, hopefully anyway, you know, it's will have me. But like, you know, it, 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 it has been interesting down in Limerick and Cork and Galway, you know, and you're just like, I'm just picking up just that energy, you know, and also just the, just the wonderfulness of, of, of people saying, you know, we don't need you to tell us that we're great or that we, or that we can win things. We have won things. It's your job just to tell us how does this shit work, you know? Mm. Which is great. Well, it's, yeah, it's great. It's very rewarding. It's, it's, mm. it's, it's exciting at the same time. And it's, it's very valuable work that you're doing, Connor. Um, I'm conscious that we've had you on for about an hour and 20 minutes. Um, Actually, I could talk for hours. That's the problem. <laughs> like, no, it's been great. Um, I think when I see schedule for th- 45 minutes, but it's, it's all been great and it's been very useful stuff. So I think we'll, uh, we'll leave it there unless Mel, you have any final words? Uh, I think we, there's plenty of potential for Connor to come back again, you know, and, and certainly as things unfold, um, it would be uh, an invaluable uh, contributor, you know, to help us work out what's actually happening because um, things are, you know, the, the train's running out of control and, and we don't know where we're going to end up in a, even in a few short weeks. Yeah, no, yeah, you know, like, yeah, and should, that's the thing, but like, like for me, I think this is going to be good crack, like, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's that old line, you know, like now's the time to move fast and break things, you know, like, let's see what happens here. Like, like one of the things around kind of any kind of social change is necessary and it's important, but it also has to be fun, <laughs> You know, so I mean, like, let's have the crack here with this. You know, like, that, that that younger generation of activists that you were talking about certainly, yeah. like, they're fucking going for it. They're absolutely going for it, you know, and they're and like then they're not going to wait for. They have no intention of of waiting until the institution, the institutionalized kind of left, you know, just yep. decides to kind of move or not. They'll do it anyway. It's or, all about or, of, do you want to be part of this or not, like. Twenty-four percent. How trustees like us are going to tell them how to do it as well? Exactly, you know, you know and, and and we and didn't do it in our generation. Exactly, you know. I mean, that's the great thing about us that, like, like all we know is failure. We like, we just fucked up all, you know, our entire kind of left lives. You know, I mean, all I've done is kind of write books and moan. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's it. Like, I mean, that's my contribution so far. I'm hoping to get something else in 
just before I die, but time's running out, lads. So I better get yeah. something done fast, like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and the benefit is that, Mel, you being a granddad, it'll keep you young. Yes, and my granddaughter's just arrived at the house, so. All right. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, well, look, thanks very much, Connor. That, that, oh, it's a pleasure, lads, as right always. On. We're glad to have you on. And again, apologies, it's, it's come so late. Um, but as Mel says, we'll have to get you on again. And Mel, thanks as always. So I think we'll leave it there. All right, lads. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks. Bye-bye. All the best.